DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is Christmas Eve. Sports is pretty much shutting down, except for one football game in Hawaii involving BYU in Hawaii. Good. Yeah? Good that there's a game or good that sports is shutting down? Or both. Good that everything's shutting down, except BYU playing a football game. Yeah, I would go with what you said on the ladder there. I'm excited to watch this game. Uh, to me, Christmas Eve, you know, it's early enough, 6 o'clock our time. Uh, I don't know that I would be interested in it if the Cougars weren't playing in it, but I'm going to watch it. I'm going to have it on television. I plan to watch the game. Uh, to me, if you're a BYU fan, I don't think it's sacrilegious to uh, be watching the game. What's the difference? So... We can't have anything on Christmas Eve, but we can have 5,000 st- things on Christmas Day? That makes any sense to me. That's ridiculous. Get that freaking logic out of here. That is not logic. That's ridiculous. And I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm a Cougar fan starting at 6 o'clock. In fact, I'm a Cougar fan starting at 5 o'clock when we have our pregame show here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm going to be locked down on that, too. And I'm going to be wishing that there was a post-game show. But I understand at that point it's getting a little late and it's getting a little ridiculous. But here, I think it's a big game for BYU, and I'm excited to watch it. I'm going to gather the family around. I mean, I've got dozens of family members that are going to be with me that love to spend time with uh, Okay, I'm kind of lying here. But nevertheless, I'm going to have the television on, and I'm going to enjoy the game. Does the dog like football? Well, I mean, you're talking about me? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. I love it, man. <laughs> I'm excited. I just said that. You asked that question? How do you ask that question? How can you ask that question? Yes, I am the dog. I have the hair of the dog, and I'm going to be watching that game. Yuck, back in the day, PK was going after a uh, <laughs> some listener who called in. <laughs> And the guy was all wound up, and he's an older guy. And finally, he utters the awesome line. This is so good. Stop calling me dog. (laughs) You remember that, PK? That was awesome. You were just playing with him like you do. (laughs) You just had, like, the ball of string. And finally, he'd had enough. Stop calling me dog. (laughs) I do remember that, and I also remember we had some old-timer on who called you James. He was arguing Uh with you, and he called you James, and me and Terry South just burst out laughing. James! (laughs) (laughs) He was upset with you, like the one guy who's been upset with you. I don't know what it was about. But I do remember Terry. I don't remember either. (laughs) I remember Terry laughing his head off. Yeah, it's just Terry. out of the blue. Oh, Terry. you're wrong, James. <laughs> Terry, <laughs> Terry's sense of humor is different than everybody else's, but that one got him, man. He got going. <laughs> it's always the stupid uh, stuff yeah. that gets the biggest laugh. What do you think, dog? What do you think, dog? Dog, I totally disagree with you. Oh, come on, dog. Stop calling me dog. It was like the fifth time he finally had it. I literally meant your dog. <laughs> My wife. You literally. <laughs> I literally meant your dog, D-O-G, not you, D-A-W-G. Your dog, who, by the way, your dog okay. is a medical miracle. 
I saw your dog. I was over at your house a couple days ago, and and uh, I was talking to your wife about that. That dog was given that the the vet was giving up hope, but the dog is powering through. That dog, even yeah. your dog, has mental toughness. <laughs> Got to have it in this household. Absolutely. Yes, uh, last year, prognosis, my wife was scheduled, to go, she was scheduled to go with me to the conference title game against Washington. And that very day, we got a cancer diagnosis for the dog. And they gave him six months. And here we are over a year later, a year and almost a month now. And the dog is still going strong. And when the dog does not go strong, that's going to be an awful day in our household for sure. Because somebody is really attached. They they like to think, now the dog doesn't really speak, but they like to think that they pulled each other through their cancer. Uh-huh. And I guess they did because they're both doing well <laughs> after having cancer surgery, or not surgery, but cancer. Yeah, and, and the, dog, the dog's not exactly limping around either. I came to the door, and <laughs> there's the dog right at the door. <laughs> Mm, I smell cat. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was bouncing around. The tail was wagging. It was go time. All right. So yesterday we went out uh-huh. and we came back and the dog had gotten in the trash, which had some leftover food. And my wife was mad at him. And the dog came. He was like in my lap for like 20 minutes with the idea of save me, man. She's really mad at me. And it was it was funny because he you could tell the dog doesn't really cling to me, but he needed some male bonding at that moment because the female in the house was really furious with him. <laughs> it's running for cover. <laughs> yeah. Help me. Help me. <laughs> exactly. All right, DJ and PK, uh, Yawk has been working the phones feverishly, and uh, Darnell has Christmas Eve duties that require him to relocate the BYU football discussion to 8.30. So we will uh, talk with Darnell coming up in about 20 minutes. All right, PK, (laughs) we got more people who want to weigh in. They're just waking up, and they're just joining the discussion with the Jazz making moves. We had to reset this. Y'all, get the audio for the 8 o'clock listeners, because they need to enjoy this, and we can't blame them for not being up at 7 o'clock on Christmas Eve morning. If they're just joining the party now, we need (laughs) So we all knew something was coming, and we had discussions. The Jazz had to make a couple of moves. The, the, road, the, the bench, clearly Quinn counts on six or seven guys, and he's really struggling looking for other guys that he can bring in and count on. And so they've had to add a couple of guys, and there were rumors about trades, and there were rumors about G League and buyout acquisitions, and something had to happen. So two things happen. They make the Exum trade, and they get Clarkson from Cleveland. They give up a couple of draft picks. And they also uh, waive Jeff Green, and they're picking up a G League guy who'd been with the Bucks G League team. Now, foreshadowing, stuff happens, and at the time you know it means something, but you still can't know exactly when something is going to happen or what is going to happen. But PK asked David Locke this question on Friday while we were at the road home. You think we'll see more of Jeff Green taken to the basket? No. Awkward. <laughs> but clearly, David Locke knew more than he was letting on. Some things you just don't need to blurt out. But if you can read between the lines, and there was plenty of time to read between the lines, it's all clear, isn't it, PK? Listen to it. From now on, we Absolutely, all know. Yeah. You and I have already known this. 
I mean, it's something that you learn when you're reporting that like wh- how, wh- when people pause and when they're struggling to find the right thing to say because they know there's the wrong thing to say out there and they can't say it, that's meaningful. It'll tell you what's going on. But uh, with the evolution of sports radio and you know streaming interviews and all that, people now get to see more raw interviews than they used to see. You know, you don't have to be in the media now to see live press conferences. I mean, it's, everything's totally changed over the last 10 or 20 years. And so everyone should now be on alert going forward with David Locke. He knows a lot of stuff. He can't blurt it out. But if you're paying attention, reading between the lines and listening to the pauses, sometimes you can figure out more than just the words. Yeah, because I didn't want to ask, you think Jeff Green is fitting in? I didn't want to put Locke on a tough spot. Uh, and that's just not fair to him because he has access to information and he's got to make sure that, you know, he distributes that in a, an appropriate manner. So I had to figure out a way to ask the question to get a response that I wasn't necessarily sure what the response was going to be. But that's why I asked the question the way it did rather than, is Jeff Green a bust? Is they looking to get rid of him? Blah, blah, blah. Because that would have been unfair to Locke to put him in that situation. But the way I asked that question, he was able to say what he said. And I told him later, as you know, that that was the most insightful one-word <laughs> answer that I think I've ever received, literally, in 30 years in the business. I don't think I've ever received a, a more insightful one-word. I'm just talking about one-word answer to a question. That told me everything that I needed to know. You think we'll see more of Jeff Green taking it to the basket? No. <laughs> Not only was it one word, but the end is clipped. And like we've had seriously thousands of conversations yeah. with David Locke, right? And even when it ends, because somebody's got to go do something, got to go, you know, when David walks away, he's got like ten more minutes of stuff he can tell you about the jazz. The no and the way he says it, kind of like, no. please don't do a follow up question. <laughs> do not is, follow this up. This is not no. good. <laughs> and I didn't. Yeah. We just uh, let it go, no, and you no. asked whatever you I, asked. I asked a question about Joe went. Ingles, and we got a three-minute answer, and then you said something along the lines of, so you ask a question and get a three-minute answer, and I ask a question and get a one-word answer. <laughs> yeah, we made fun of it at that point. <laughs> just, to, just to have fun with it. It reminded me, though, of being in high school. Would you like to go to the prom with me? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Should the Jazz have drafted Dante Exum number five? No. Oh, this is going to be a game now. (laughs) And it's on. Does DJ deserve every single award every single year? No. (laughs) Is DJ going to pass on seconds of anything over the next 48 hours? No. (laughs) No. Does DJ have any impulse Does control? Does Gordon ask a short question? No. <laughs> no. For both of your questions there. Oh, man. If you'd like to play the game, 855-340-ZONE. Go crazy. Knock yourself out. It's Christmas Eve. You deserve a treat. Why not? No. Does Scotty care about our show? No. <laughs> Just kidding. Does Scotty think we deserve time off over the holidays? No. <laughs> Will DJ and PK ever have prizes away like, to give away again? No. 
Oh, classic. <laughs> Scotty had me on for an hour yesterday because Hans is on vacation. It took me like 30 seconds to, to bring up working on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Scotty's just looking at me. Really? Is this how the hour's going to go? <laughs> no. I lightened up. It didn't go that way. Oh, man. Classic. I'm waiting. Scotty must still be asleep because he hasn't texted me yet. He usually. By the way, if you think Scotty's funny, you have no idea. He tempers it for the air. He's hilarious. Oh, big time. Is, big time, yeah. His dry sense of humor is like salt flats in August dry. <laughs> Yes, it can be very biting. And very, <laughs> very dry and, and biting. Comes out of left field. And hilarious. Yeah. I know. And when I do stuff like Can't. this, she usually has something to tell me. <laughs> You can't mention most of it. No, you can't, but it is hilarious. Oh. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Uh, the other thing people missed in the 7 o'clock hour, we actually did talk about the Jazz game, but it feels like the moves they made are going to have a bigger impact over the next, uh, what, four months or whatever it is here uh, than that one game. But a couple things in that one game. That was a weird game, actually encouraging in some regards. Now, ironic that you know that was Jeff Green's last game, and so the bench is going to look different going forward. But I thought the bench was pretty good in that game. And I thought that that game came down to the guys who finished the game couldn't beat Miami. They, they just they weren't good enough that night to get it done, which is kind of weird because what we've been seeing is the bench digs a hole and then the finishers come in, dig out of the hole, and win the game. Now, Miami's a better quality team than they'd seen over the last couple of weeks. And I thought that the starters did pretty well when they were in at the start of the game and through the middle, uh, you know, through the uh, start of the second half and all that. But those, uh, that the fourth quarter, the final eight to ten minutes or whatever it was, uh, you know, it wasn't their night. And uh, someone tweeted out how many how many buckets each of the five guys made down the stretch. But it was like four four baskets among the five guys or something terrible like that. I mean, it was really not anything like we what we had been seeing. It was unusual because that's not usually where they lose games in the final six to eight minutes. Yeah, Mitchell was scoreless in the fourth quarter. Wasn't yeah, it? I think so. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a weird yeah. night. And and Gobert was I the guy who had that. three buckets, but he had them like on the last three possessions of the game. Yeah, uh, it, it. I mean, they lost the game by what three points to Miami. Miami has a lot of good players. I, I, I think Butler is a borderline superstar. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily put him up there with the elite of the elite but you know he might be in that next class and then they got a lot of good players after that i mean they can bring in a bunch of guys who can help you win ball games so i like what they've got going in miami we spoke about that yesterday with the organization sticking with spolstra and him being a good basketball coach and all that so if you look at the jazz and they have well give me the final total on the bogdanovich and mitchell and how poor their shooting percentage uh, was. Combined, they were 9 of 32. They're not going to win many games when they do that. That's just <laughs> the way it is. That is so, the way and that's going to happen. Yeah. But it wasn't bad so, basketball and bad shots, as Quinn said in his post. No, I can live with that loss. That's, that loss really didn't bother me. That wasn't a Toronto loss. That wasn't a Philadelphia loss. That wasn't the Thunder at home loss. That was a loss that's going to happen. On the road, the end of a three-game trip. All right, 
I'm okay with it. I can live with that, and I think Quinn Snyder can live with that because they showed some stuff there. Just a couple guys, their two main scorers, were having a hard time making buckets. I mean, that three that Mitchell took at the end, that was like three-quarters of the way down, and it popped back up. And, man, Gobert ended up slamming it off the, off the miss. But, I mean, he shot it from top of the key, and it's good form. It, it just didn't go. It's like hitting a line drive right at somebody, and they make the catch. All right, well, you did your job. It just didn't work out the way you wanted it. But, you know, everything that you did, you did everything possible to succeed, and you barely missed. So those things happen from time to time. I'm not upset at that loss at all. It, it, that, you, you don't want to lose. I get that. But that might be the best loss they've had all season. But I think uh, <laughs> that's funny. We always talk about the worst loss. We never talk about the best loss. Uh, Moutier really scored it, and Joe Ingles was feeling it. Hitting Locke comes on and talks about, you know, Joe, what does he do in the corner versus above the break? And what does he do catch and shoot versus off the dribble? And he was hitting off the dribble threes. He was clearly looking for his shot. I mean, he took 12 three-pointers. That's like two weeks for him. Uh, but I didn't feel like yeah. they were forced. I felt like he was open. Those were good shots, which is why he made 7 of 12 of them, because as good a shooter as he is, I don't think he's going 7 of 12 on contested threes off the dribble. I mean, that's, that's not the way to play it. They were good shots. And, you know, his, it's, uh, this is what we've been saying about Mike Conley. When your numbers are that far off your career numbers, you have to have games like Joe Ingles had to start to get back to the ballpark you're in. You may not be as good. You know, you may end up being a couple points off what you normally shoot from three. But Joe's not going to shoot, you know, 10 or 15 points worse from three than he's been shooting the last few years. So you know there's some 7 for 12 games out there because that's how you really move the needle on those numbers. Well, since he's been starting these last six games, his numbers have been sensational. I mean, that's just a fact. And he can say he's just a guy who fits in, does whatever the team wants. I'm not asking him to be selfish because I think when we talk to him and you talk to him about shooting more, I think he takes it upon himself as if that means I need to be selfish. And everything in his DNA when it comes to basketball goes against being selfish. I think he needs to understand better. We're not asking you to be selfish, Joe. We're just asking you to be more assertive. And if it's there, you got to do it because, you know, guys don't like to bring up money. Well, the fact is, you have to be slotted where you are. Your, your, most, your most expensive player has to be your best player, and then so forth and so on. And he's what? He's the fourth or fifth player who's getting paid the most on the team? Um, that's a cumbersome way of saying it, but you get the point. And so he needs to play like that. And the last six games, he has been playing like that, and the team has been way better. And they need that. So he, I think that this is my own interpretation of it. We're not asking you to be selfish. We're just asking you to be assertive and to be aggressive and to play like you're capable of because if you don't, that's being detrimental to the team. The team needs you to do this. Now, 27 points and 12 threes and all that, that's the extreme. We understand that. But don't be a non-factor out there. Be a factor because you're too good and the team needs you to be that factor in helping them win ball games. So uh, for people who are uh, wondering when you see, when he said he's the fourth or fifth best played player, uh, the reason PK phrased it like that is because he was fourth, and with Clarkson coming, he will be fifth. 
And, of course, that's a little misleading yeah. because the Jazz have gotten a rookie contract who's dominant in Donovan Mitchell. Right. So he's at right, 3.6 right, right. million, but, you know, obviously at 25 points a game, he's the guy. So, yeah. And so, really, what it comes down to, and this is why we talk about Conley so much, at 32 million, they just, when he gets healthy, they need to get more out of him because guys need to produce where they're slotted. And you get a really good team when you can get someone like Mitchell who is overproducing where he's slotted. Uh, right now, it's Conley yes. at 32 million, Gobert at 25 million. Bogdanovich at 17 million, and Ingles is just a shade under 12 this year. He'll actually go down to 11, a little under 11 next year. Um, and then he signed that extension, so he goes up to 14 million. So Joe is inked for another two and a half years. And that three point shooting percentage, which was so dismally low to start the year, is now up to about 38.5%. So at the clip he's going, I expect he's going to be back over 40 for the third time in four years, assuming this uh, this role keeps going. All right, DJ and PK, uh-huh. it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Yach is demanding we go to break. Yach, you got plans for us next, right? Yeah, Darnell Dixon. Let's All right. some BYU football. Christmas Eve with Darnell Dixon and BYU football next on 97.5. It's game night for the Cougars on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Jazz five-game win streak is snapped. A 107-104 loss to the Miami Heat. Jazz also making roster moves, trading Dante Exum and two second-round draft picks to Cleveland for guard Jordan Clarkson. They waived forward Jeff Green and have signed Wisconsin herd guard Rajon Tucker to a multi-year deal to fill that roster spot. Tucker was a standout at the recent G League Winter Showcase event in Las Vegas. Elsewhere in the NBA, Jamal Murray, the game winner. The Nuggets beat the Phoenix Suns 113-111. to Jazz played the Blazers Thursday night on TNT at 830. That's the next game at home against Portland. The Blazers lose to the Pelicans 102-94. BYU and Hawaii in Aloha Stadium tonight, 6 o'clock in the Hawaii Bowl. The game's on ESPN. The Cougar pregame show begins at 5 o'clock here on the Zone Sports Network. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing. Call Action Plumbing and get your preseason furnace tune-up and safety check for $33 by calling Action Plumbing at 801-833-3333 or going to actionplumbing.net. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. They've got huge auctions in Meridian. Right on the edge of Boise, they do some really big auctions. Not the storage auctions, but, oh. but sightseeing Oh, auctions. yeah, yeah. Because honestly, you go to one of those storage unit places up in Idaho, and it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't want that. All right, this meth lab goes for $100. I don't understand all these bottles of iodine. Wow. Yeah. You're going deep. I had a girlfriend that was arrested and put in prison for a long time. Um, so Wait a minute. No, you know that. <laughs> I know it. Uh, my first kiss went to prison for 30-some-odd years for... It's true. ...a very large meth lab. That's kind of a rough first kiss. This kiss, this kiss, Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Darnell Dixon joining us from the Daily Herald now to talk about BYU and Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl tonight. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line where you can get a Samsung S10 for $0 when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease now through December 26th. Visit the Sprint store nearest to you. Darnell, good morning. 
Good morning. You guys are really uh, putting in the extra hours here on Christmas Eve, huh? Yeah, and we've been really happy about it, too. It's been great. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... I don't know. No reason to sugarcoat it. All right, so BYU's got this game tonight with Hawaii. How much do you feel like, even though they've played a dozen games... Eight and five feels way different than seven and six, and obviously they were seven and six last year. So this game becomes really important, despite the fact they played a dozen games leading up to this, and the season is largely defined. Yeah, I think you take a look at last year when when BYU won the Idaho Potato Bowl, and, and Zach Wilson was eighteen for eighteen. I think that there's a lot of uh, BYU fans that had some great talking points during the off season about the quarterback spot and and how well BYU played. Even down the stretch, although they lost to Utah, obviously they led in that game. So I, I think that it's important for the, the the program in terms of how they're perceived by their fan base to get a win tonight. I don't know how much the players really take momentum necessarily from one season to the next um, because once you start in January, it's a whole new team. That guys in different leadership positions taking different roles and, and on the team. So I think it's more for the fans. But, yeah, I think the perception is – you know, if you go uh, if you go nine and nine and four, nine and five, we're not going to be nine and five, right? So uh, if they get if they go eight and five, right? If they go eight and five, nine and five, whatever it happens to be, they they give that perception that yeah, things are are, are picking up, things are getting better, um, and they're making progress, and that, that's really what the fan base wants. And and if if they don't win against Hawaii, then I think the perception is it's the same old thing. And then there's there's not those great talking points during the off season that the fans can bring up that they feel optimistic about the program. Yeah, I can agree with all that, Darnell. Uh, my thought for you is how much is individually does Zach Wilson have to prove in this game after the injury and then the San Diego State performance? Yeah, I know he's a competitor and, and he's going to want, want to really end up uh, on, on a good note with this this season. And it's been tough. I mean, you think about a guy that that missed all of spring and then part of the summer just um, healing from his shoulder surgery. And then he gets back and then gets hurt and has to come back from that. And when you look at what this team did against San Diego State, moving the ball but not able to to put the ball in the end zone, have trouble in the red zone, that, that's really a, a quarterback takes that upon himself very seriously. And, and I, I think that it's really important for him to play well. I think um, not all the problems against San Diego State were his. Uh, I think mean, the offensive line was brutal, and I, I don't think the receivers really helped him out that much. And the, the play calling, especially in the second half, they really abandoned the run game, and I think that's going to be important against Hawaii for them to be able to run the ball. So there's a lot of other factors, but as the quarterback, he takes on a lot of that responsibility. And I, I feel like he knows uh, that he's got also some guys behind him and David Romney and, and Jaron Hall that, that have played well. And that's another one of those off-season talking points. If, if Zach plays really well tonight, then the, the, the narrative is uh, he's the guy. He's still the guy. If he doesn't play well, then you've got a whole off-season of fans talking about, you know, how soon do they give Baylor a shot? How soon do they give Jaron a shot? Maybe they give him a shot against, uh, against Hawaii if things don't go well. I don't know. So, yeah, I think there's a lot on Zach's shoulders to go out and play the way that he's capable of. And where we've seen him play that well, it's just um, you know the, the, the last thing the fans see is going to be something they're going to remember during the offseason. Okay, and you always have to factor the opponent into it. San Diego State at the end of the year played three straight games with uh, Fresno State and Hawaii and BYU where neither team scored 20 points. That was just the nature of the San Diego State team. The defense was really good. The offense was not good. And they played 
low-scoring games. Hawaii, conversely, their offense is good. Their defense is not very good. They played a lot of games where teams scored 30, 40, 50 points. They gave up 50 points three times this year. So shouldn't the offense look better tonight? Quality of the opposition and the style that team plays, that matters a lot. Yeah, you should hope so. And and I really think that, as I mentioned before, the running game is going to be critical here. And and this this whole season has been a, an adventure for the the running backs and, and and the run game just because of all the injuries they've sustained and and they they, they seem to have um, you know a guy play well and then get hurt a black guy play well and get hurt uh, they they might have the services of Emmanuel Sipka tonight um, we know that that Lapina Kato will probably get most of the carries you also got Tyler Algier who moved back from defense to offense when they started getting some of those injuries and Jackson McChesney who ran for over 200 yards against. Uh, UMass. So I think that I think that's really on the offensive line, though, to, to create some holes and establish that run game. And what we, when we talk to Jeff Grimes, he likes to talk about how they want to be balanced in their attack. They want to be able to run and pass, and and they haven't been able to do that. Uh, they did do that against San Diego State when they played. But I think against Hawaii, they will be able to. And I really think that offense will be able to move the ball consistently. And and getting into the end zone is all about execution. And, and in, the, in the red zone, you've got to be able to execute. No, no uh, dumb penalties, no missed assignments, and I think that the chances are they'll be able to do that tonight against Hawaii in, in a lot more frequency. So you're predicting a resounding win? Uh, I'm predicting a high-scoring game. <laughs> I, I'm not as, as uh, optimistic about BYU's defense. Although they've played well at times, um, I, I think – when you give an experienced quarterback a chance to sit back in the pocket and throw against drop a coverage, it's possible he could get hot and, and getting good rhythm. Um, you know, there, there's probably a lot of ways that you can get a quarterback off his game. And most people think about it. Well, it's got to be pressure. You got to be able to get in there and make him feel uncomfortable and not be able to throw in rhythm. I, I kind of believe that, but BYU's not been that kind of defense most of the year. They've been a, a defense that tries to disrupt the quarterback by dropping guys in the cover. That's why their linebackers have so many interceptions because they drop so many guys and then, and then the quarterback looks and doesn't see one of those dropping linebackers in the zone and they get a pick. So uh, I really think that the BYU defense is going to be stressed tonight. Uh, Hawaii has four receivers with more than 800 yards receiving and, and Cole McDonald's an experienced quarterback. I think they're going to be able to move the ball. And what it will come down to, in my mind, is the ability of BYU – to get a few stops in the red zone and to get some turnovers. And, and then it's up to the offense to convert those turnovers into points. And and I, I feel like like if BYU can do that, they'll be in pretty good shape. But I also, like I said, I think that Hawaii's going to be able to move the ball and, and put some pressure on that BYU secondary and, and, uh, and, and be able to score some points. So I see a high-scoring game. I do think BYU is a better team overall. And, and has been, uh, you know, stressed and, and tested a lot more this year in some in some other games. So I do see BYU winning, but I do think it will be uh, a higher scoring game. Darnell Dixon joining us, BYU reporter for the Daily Herald. So when you say earlier, you know, you're not as confident. You're confident predicting a higher scoring, not as confident about the 
winning because you've seen some up and down. This season's just been full of up and down. There's a couple games, we draw assumptions from those games, then they wreck them with the next couple games, at which point we draw more assumptions, <laughs> at which point they wreck them with the next couple of games. I don't think people are that surprised that they're sitting here at 7-5 and five right now. I think most people had them between 6 and 8 wins, so you know your ballpark, that's pretty good to call something three months in advance. But I don't think anybody expected them to get there the way they did. What, if anything, does that say about the state of the program? Well, I, I think it says a couple of things. I think it says that BYU played a lot of young kids in this, this scene, a lot of freshmen and sophomores who, who would make mistakes and, and are uneven in their performance. Um, you know, this team was obviously good enough to beat USC at home and good enough to beat Boise State and Utah State. They also had struggles enough to lose to Toledo and USF on consecutive weeks in games that they really had opportunities to win and should have won. Um, I think that that's the one thing that, that stands out to me is the m- amount of young players that they played and, and the up-and-down nature of that is, is, is just typical of what you'll see. The other thing that kind of shows me and tells me is that this coaching staff still has some work to do in, in getting the most out of their players every week. And I think that's the challenge of any good coaching staff is – to try to, to get that consistent performance, even out of young players. And, and I, you know, the, I, I think that Kalani Sataki is learning things as a head coach that he didn't uh, have an opportunity to learn when he was an assistant. And I, I think he's tried to make those changes, and, and, and I, I think that they're getting there. But I think it's a combination of those two things that's created this sort of uneven performance that, that's kind of got fans pretty frustrated that they, they can pull off great wins but also – uh, follow the teams that they're probably better than. And and I, I think that one of the keys to doing that is is being able to uh, play well at home and control your home field and make it a, a fearsome place to play at. And and that's one thing Kalani hasn't done in his career uh, so far is made the Edwards Stadium just a, a place where uh, opponents go to die. They, they just can't get wins there. And I, until that happens, I, I think that won't turn around the, the program all the way, but I think that's a good step toward it. And, and so I think there's still a lot of work to do on the coaching staff to get this program to the level of consistency that gets them to where they want to go. Is Mark Pope's magic good enough to make the NCAA tournament? Well, you'd have to say yes, based on what we've seen the last month or so. And, and with Yoli Childs back in the lineup, he tells us that seniors are magic. And that's a, that's a really, I think, overlooked uh, plus in college basketball because you know you talk about some of the, the teams that are power five teams that are consistently in the hunt for the national championship, their guys are leaving early. They don't have a lot of seniors on their program, but, but BYU does have seven seniors this year, and he likes the fact that they've seen a lot together and that they've been able to overcome some things. And putting Yoli Childs in the lineup, I mean, here's a, here's a guy that, that uh, didn't play the first nine games. He's already averaging 20 and 10, uh, shooting 60% from the field. He's 7 of 10 from, from the three-point line, and and he's created a lot of problems for defenses. And Just to take this last game, for example, against Weber State, the Wildcats decided they would double and monster Yoli the first three or four times down the floor. So Yoli found guys open for three-pointers that they made. And then so Weber State decides, okay, we're going to single coverage now, and Yoli destroyed them. He, he scored, he's, he's made the first 10 bat shots that he took. And, and so I, I don't know that that will continue against better opponents, but still, that's the kind of thing we're seeing this year where um, whatever, and you only told us this, you said, we have, we feel like no matter what the defense does, they're going to be wrong because we're going to find a way 
to get around it. And they're sharing the ball really well. Uh, culture is an interesting thing because um, they all talk about how they, they have a great buy-in to the program and they have a great locker room. Well, winning creates a lot of that. Um, they kind of go hand in hand. So when you start winning, using that formula, the players are more willing to try that formula. Um, I like what Mark Pope has done with this team. Um, I think that Dave Rose was, a, was an amazing coach, but I, I feel like it was time for a change. And the players have really proven that, yeah, they needed a different look, a different outlook on things and a different way to approach things. And they've really responded well. So I think they right now that that conference, the West Coast Conference, should be a three-bid league. They really have an opportunity to do that. And that's obviously contingent on BYU taking your business in the West Coast Conference, which starts up in a week or two. You know, there's already bracketology out there, and there's uh, computer rankings that say that BYU is currently in a spot, but just bare, they're in the field, but they're lower in the field and not in by much. And you go into the West Coast Conference, and historically, BYU goes on the road, and they'll defend for a half or a game or two, but eventually somebody shoots 50%, scores 80 points, and beats them, and it's a kind of loss that sinks their tournament hopes. This year, they seem to be defending better. Maybe it's a new coach, maybe it's the new players, maybe it's just the, you know, fresh air and everything's different, and maybe it's because they got a bunch of seniors who really want to go to the tourney. Do you think they're going to defend well enough to avoid the hideous road losses that have sunk their NCAA hopes in past years? Yeah, all those things you mentioned are contributing to, to a, a better defensive effort. I, I, I look at that group, and, and there's a couple of guys. like I think Alex Barcelo is a pretty good on-ball defender. Um, I think for wings, Connor Harding's a pretty good defender. Um, you know, Yoli's obviously working on being a better defender. Dalton Nixon is a guy who, who really works hard inside, even though he's a little undersized. But So they don't have a lot of really great individual defenders. But as a team defense, I think they've been playing really well. Uh, and, and you have to together. You have to work together to make that, that a reality. And they have had some slip-ups and, and lost to teams like Pacific or LMU and, and, and had issues on the road. For me, I, I really think that um, this is, again – Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU that are they're the, the top teams. I really thought Pepperdine might join them this year, but they've kind of struggled in the preseason. Um, I, I think there are five teams in the league that have won 10 games in the preseason, and that's really going to help as BYU gets into the regular season because now you've got teams that are a little higher RPI-wise than when you play them, or net-wise, net net rating. Uh, when you play them, you're not going to drop as much if you lose, or, or even if you win, sometimes you drop because of where they're placed. I really feel like what this team needs to do, and, and they haven't won uh, at Moraga in like five years, and they also haven't beaten Gonzaga in Provo in like five years. I think getting a win at home against Gonzaga would be tremendous for this program, and they've had a, some close games at the Marriott Center and just not been able to come through. And, and talking to Mark Few, he always tells us he loves bringing his team to the Marriott Center during the regular season because it feels it feels really uh, like a game they, they are, are stressed and, and tested and hostile environment and all that. So um, defensively, th- those things, you hope you can take on the road with you and get a win at Moraga and, and handle your business against the other teams in the conference. But I really feel like they've got to uh, play be- better defense against Gonzaga at home and get a win there. That would make a really big difference in their, their rating and, and their perception and and move themselves up a little bit from where I think I saw they were number 10 in Joe Lenardi's, uh, a 10 seed in Joe Lenardi's last bracketology. Yeah. And, and, and like you mentioned, that's really not particularly deep into the tournament. You're, you're not, uh, you want to get a little higher than that, but 
Um, they have the ability, I think, and, and the way they're playing together, they can forge through this conference season. And, and who knows what happens during the West Coast Conference Tournament. Wouldn't it be nice for BYU to go into Selection Sunday having won the tournament and know they're in? Uh, that hasn't happened for a long time. Um, so we're probably looking at a team that's going to have to get in that large spot, but you never know what will happen in March. Darnell Dixon, BYU, covering BYU for the Daily Herald. And uh, Darnell, we appreciate your time on Christmas Eve. You're the trooper. Thank you very much. Hey, you guys too. Merry Christmas to you. All right, Merry Christmas, Darnell. Darnell Dixon from the Daily Herald. DJ and PK. Kurt Cragthorpe from the Salt Lake Tribune. Join us in about 15 minutes to talk Utes and retirement. Stay with us on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6. It's your next jazz game. There are free Papa Shot games cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game and socializing with friends. Jazz and Blazers, Thursday night, 8.30 for TNT. It's a late game, which if you're going to have a late game, it might as well be this week because, uh, you know, most people don't work this week. Although we'll be here Friday morning after the game, ready to talk Jazz and Blazers with you. Just as we have been talking Jazz and Heat and player personnel moves. Jordan Clarkson, Hello. Dante Exum, goodbye. Two second-round picks gone. And the Jazz looking for talent in the G League. Who can they find? Who can they bring in? Uh, they brought in one guy. Are they going to bring in more? All questions for Dennis Lindsay. Ray John Tucker, what do you know as you drive into work on a Christmas Eve or out to shop? It is almost time to start shopping, isn't it? Who's going to make a left-hand turn into the mall in Murray today? <laughs> That'll be brutal. <laughs> I drove by Southtown yesterday, and that was like an absolute zoo. Really? It was backed up onto the freeway for 106 South. Nice. Oh, Maron. Maron. All right, PK, let's give the people a snapshot. It's almost 9 o'clock, and we're about to talk with Kurt Cragthorpe uh, in our next segment. Quick snapshot, our takes on the trade. You're a little higher on Jordan uh, Clarkson than I am. I think that uh, underrated in this deal is that he's in the last year of his deal. So if it doesn't work out, they're going to have space next year to decide what to do. And I think also because, if you remember the start of the year, uh, you know, China's a big deal. Is China going to let the NBA make money there? How much? How many games aren't going to be streamed? How many jerseys aren't going to be sold? What kind of a hit is the salary cap going to take in a year? And now with this $13 million salary coming off the cap, the Jazz will have flexibility deciding if they want to spend 6 or 8 or 10 or whatever million dollars on a player next year based on where the cap falls and where the luxury tax falls. Uh, they get a little flexibility and make those decisions now. You, on the other hand, a little more optimistic on Jordan Clarkson and his long-term uh, help he can provide the Jazz bench. Yeah, he's a scorer. And uh, can he come in here and score? 
And that can help them, yeah. I mean, relative to what Exum has been giving them, that's been absolutely nothing, right? We would all agree with that. That's literally been nothing. And so with that in mind, he comes in and gives them, I think he's going to give them something, certainly more than our man Exum has been giving them. And they've waited, waited, waited. It's time to cut bait with Exum. It's just the way it was. It just wasn't working. He's completely, totally fallen out of the rotation, which can't be good. And then at that point, if you've fallen out of the rotation completely, then you expect him to be able to do anything if they put him back in the rotation my guess would be absolutely no that that almost became to the point of a lost cause since he'd been out and hasn't been playing and so with that in mind Clarkson has at least been getting some kind of minutes can he come in here and fit into a system that has an opportunity to maybe rejuvenate him a little bit because in Cleveland they are just awful and they're clearly not you know the proverbial what they're Three years away from being three years away. <laughs> the rebuilding. You can argue that. Rebuilding the rebuild. Right. So with that in mind, he's going to come into a team that is going to make the playoffs this year. And if they get better, maybe even move up the playoff uh, seating list. We'll have to see how that plays out in the coming months. So I like that. I, I like what he, and he's a veteran. He's been in the finals, right? hasn't he? And so he's got a little bit of experience there. Uh, you know, I don't expect him to be a world beater, but... You're not asking him to be a world beater. And the same thing with this Tucker kid who obviously played well in the G League. You're asking these guys to play some spot minutes, and then we'll see maybe Niang moves up the rotation a little bit and gets Green's minutes or maybe more than that. And remains to be seen how that plays out because they've got to make decisions when Conley comes back because it's clear that Joe Ingles has just raised his game in these it's just six games so i don't want to go nuts but i can argue that these six games are the best that joe has played over any six game stretch since he's been in the nba right so that leads me to think that it's not a fluke because we've seen him play well before so with that in mind he's probably going to stay in the starting lineup then going forward here what do they do all of a sudden now, when, when Conley comes back, whenever all that sudden is, if it's next week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it might be, then there's decisions to be made. And the more options that you can have, obviously, the better it is for the ball club, right? I don't think anybody would disagree with that sentiment. Over the last six games, Joe Ingles averaging 18 points a game. And the three-point shooting is way up. He had not made more than three threes in a game, and now he's gone... Four two four seven. So he's clearly making more free uh, three pointers. That's seventeen three pointers in four games. Uh, being much more aggressive, and this team needs it. They're twenty first in the offensive rating, so they need more scoring punch in the starters. They need more scoring punch from the bench. I mean, they've got I mean, yeah. all the other stuff is great, but all that stuff does is get you better shots, either closer to the hoop or. Um, more uncontested shots, more wide-open shots, you still got to make them when you get them. And offensively, there is plenty of room for improvement, and there's no doubt about that. All right, when we come back, Kirk Cragthorpe, Salt Lake Tribune, headed for retirement and headed for the Alamo Bowl with the Utes. Stay with us.